Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, it's Tommy from Ops Analytica. You know, when we have new clients uh, talking to us and they are figuring out if they want to have an operations management platform like Ops Analytica in their business, one of the big sort of emotional hurdles they have to kind of get through is what we call the big brother conundrum, right? And what that is, is that they want more visibility, more control at the shift level. They want to know that their employees are doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're doing them at the right time. They want all of that, what we'll call big brother stuff, right? But at the same time, they don't want to be perceived as being big brother. Nobody wants to be the Stalin of their 20 location chain, right? And so what we tell them is don't focus on the control aspect of things, focus on the data, right? You want more data on every part of your operation so that you can make better decisions and you can make those better decisions faster so that you can get rid of the things in your business that are impacting sales, profits, and customer satisfaction. And making data-driven decisions is probably the biggest thing you can do to positively impact your profitability, right? So focus on the data. It's all about the data. And by the way, though, if you're collecting all this data, you're going to get some of those other big brother things that you wanted on the side for free, okay? So learn how you can get better data to make better decisions and be more profitable. Contact us for a demo at opsanalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show. It's Tommy. I am back with another interview. Please welcome to the show, Michael Atias. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing great, Tommy. Happy, happy Wednesday. Uh, happy Wednesday to you as well. Okay, so uh, we asked the same five questions of every guest, Michael. And my first one, the first question is my favorite question, which is explain what you do today and then take us through your career path from your first job in the industry to how you got to where you are now. Sure. So today, um, I'm the president, founder, CEO, um, chief bottle washer of CaterZen Catering Software. Um, we help successful caterers become more successful. Nice. And basically, we run all aspects of full service, drop off, and private party room catering on um, our platform. Cool. Did, did you start off in the catering business or tell us how you got there? Well, <clears throat> really interesting story. So when I was 16 years old, um, I wanted to go to work for a preppy high-end clothing company, men and women's clothier, and um, I couldn't get a job there. Then I tried to get a job at a grocery store, couldn't get a job there. Imagine not being able to get a job at a retailer or a, or a grocery store today. And a friend of yeah. mine was a busboy at this restaurant. It was sort of like a high-end steak and ale type concept called the Loft. Literally, there were an inch thick worth of applicants to be a dishwasher. Because I had an in, I got a job as a dishwasher. I did such a poor job. They made me a busboy. <laughs> um, and I've sort of worked my way up. Um, so I became um, one of the top busboys there. And, um, you know, one of my philosophies is, you know, always always show up like you're the owner um so i remember telling my manager hey you know they really work you hard here the nights and the weekends and all these schedules why don't you let me make out the busboy schedule for you he said sure well i wasn't being benevolent i didn't like working nights or weekends um <laughs> uh, or weekend nights especially saturday nights so i always assured i didn't have to work a saturday night um and why there you know i learned how to bartend and that was sort of the impetus to start a bartending service as a test one college um they added on a bar span of their bar and i actually put together a grand opening campaign i bartered out a trip for two i think to the bahamas so it was always pretty enterprising and then i ended up at a restaurant called corky's barbecue in memphis when they started um, a family i grew up with um and I, I put them in the rib shipping business and did some promotions for them but pretty much waited tables and i thought well when i graduate college I'm going to go to work in the bond business because that was a lucrative field um, and I had a lot of connections but then the bond market crashed so it wasn't working there so I spent the next year 
messing around waiting tables and um, got a job selling archive storage. I just got married, um, just bought a house. And after two years, I hated selling it, didn't believe in it. My boss comes in and says, you know, you're not hitting your numbers. You need another month. I said, no, you probably need to fire me now. <laughs> so I got a month's temperance pay, put all my stuff in a box, went in the car. I cried for 10 minutes, went home, um, went to Corky's and said, hey, I know y'all are franchising. Um, I want to be part of that. And I'd never open, run, managed a restaurant before. And so I waited tables for half the day um, to make money. And the other half of the day, I worked for free. Learned how to cook barbecue, look how to, learned how to manage, learned how to do everything. And I, actually, I'm sitting, I'm looking at this right now on the back of a comment card. I put one year from today, I'll have my own barbecue restaurant in almost a year to the day. I had talked, somebody had come in and seen that we were franchising, had an ad. Said, yeah, I'm going to go with one of the first franchises. Uh, less than a week later, I was in Nashville. Um, basically, he wrote a million dollar check to back me on the first franchise, and I'd never opened, run, or managed a restaurant before. Um, from there, um, I knew I didn't want to work nights and weekends. I'd rather focus on working on my business instead of in it. Um, you know, had read um, a lot of success books. You know, Emith was the first one that sort of really moved me. And I focused on building catering sales. We did, out of a 140 restaurant, we did $3 million, a million of it was catering. And I started teaching other restaurant owners how to double their profits with catering. And so I spoke at all the food shows, I sold info products, I had a newsletter business, a fishing business, consulted for the likes of Domino's Pizza. Um, and then when I got divorced, I'd had this idea for this catering software when I was working at Corky's in college. It's like they did a ton of drop-off catering and every day, same people would call to order, what's your name, what's your address, what's your credit card number? And then the manager would have to sit there with the stack of tickets and add up how much pork, chicken, ribs, beef, beans, flaw. Spent an hour every day. I said, God, if I knew how to write, you know, a basic D-base three plus program, I could write this and save them a lot of money. So, um, I bootstrapped it. Launched it in 08, and we've been, um, you know, we're basically helping successful caterers become more successful. So that's the story of how I was an overnight success after 40 years. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So you now have caterers. Tell us, okay, so I'm, I'm in the software business too. I'm a bootstrap founder, so I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about that as well. But tell, take us to what Caters Zen does. Like, you know. Uh, sure. So let me walk you through a day in the life. Um, number one, we have an online ordering um, portal that's fully customizable, so your customers can order box lunches, drop-off platters, you know, mostly drop-off catering, and then some people do takeout. You're not going to book a wedding online. You need to talk to somebody. We have lead capture forms, um, a lot of bells and whistles, and what we do is mobile enabled. Um, on the back end, somebody calls up. You can take put together a proposal for 10 box lunches or a, a million dollar wedding. We have really a, a, a full CRM. We have the ability to create really nice proposals um, and ring up, you know, whatever you need to put on the proposals from rentals to items, modifiers, everything. Or you can take a simple cater, catering order and there's a lot of, of business rules, book out, a, book out a private party room, reserve the room, uh, reserve the time for the event in the room. Um, we have a lot of follow-up, a lot of marketing is built in our software because I'm a big marketer. So for instance, you know, your company books their a holiday party with us this year. And uh, when I book your event, it says, do, do I want to call back and rebook this event for uh, Tommy and uh, call you in October? Say, hey, Tommy, did your holiday party last year? Our calendar's getting booked up. You want to go ahead and book it again this year? Little things like that. Um, you can do repeat orders. Um, we have the ability to take orders on a smartphone. So if you're in a walk-in cooler, your best customer calls, you just pull out your smartphone. Um, we can uh, do kitchen production and planning. So not only do we have paper reports to keep up with, you know, how many pounds of turkey do you need to slice and how many, you know, chef salads do you need to make or whatever it is, um, we have it on a tablet report. So it's dynamic. You might walk in with five orders and you've got two pop-up orders. You don't have to go back in the kitchen and tell them it'll flash red and then it'll cross out their old the grand totals for the day that they had and give them their new ones. We also have the ability 
to route orders um, uh, to drivers and the drivers have an app, load out lists, let the customer know they're on their way. The customer can track them like an Uber. So um, the manager owner doesn't have to get a call, you know, five minutes to 12, where's my order? You can see the guy just pulled up in your, in your parking lot, um, get tip signatures, even take pictures. We had a, uh, a prospect who was taking a demo and go, God, I wish I'd had that this morning. Our client called up and said we left off the two, you know, gallons of orange juice. And so, of course, they're going to think the caterer didn't drop it off. They did some internal investigation and found out somebody just came in the kitchen and took the orange juice back to their department. <laughs> so um, we have marketing built into our system, um, e-loyalty programs, email marketing. Um, we have a VoIP phone system. So if you want to do follow-up calls, whether it's wishing somebody a happy birthday you know, confirming an order for tomorrow or calling back the next day, see how the order was the day before. Um, invoices that are overdue, we keep up with accounts receivable. I mean, literally, it runs every aspect of your catering profit center, whether you're sole caterer or it's just a subset of what you do. Um, our software does it all. I think from my perspective, I, what I love about just what you're doing is especially the loadout sheets and also the photographs to show people, hey, we did it right. You know, because so many times it's like you get all the food stocked up, but then the person's not thinking about the chafing dishes or the spoons or, you know, the things. And all of a sudden you get to the site, you're setting it up. It's like it's not like you're just sitting on like a big box of spoons, like, you know. So then the person's like scrambling and then they get the, the clients mad because they're like, I expected you to have your stuff together, but there's just so many details about like, you know, the utensils and the napkins and, you know, all the little things that go into setting up a buffet or handing out those lunches, obviously, you know? So I think that's really cool. And obviously I think it's cool too, that you're able to consolidate the par sheet for the day, basically the prep sheet. So you're not like, looking at 25 different catering orders as one thing. And like you said, you're like a chef going, okay, how many pounds of pork is it? You can get one prep sheet that says you need 150 pounds of pork for these 30 orders, you know? I like, right. I like both those aspects of it. And then the other thing, um, we have BEOs, banquet event orders, and we do in electronic contracts. So there's all sorts of things like, you know, um, yeah. what was really good about what we do is everything's a template. So, you know, you could have a contract for weddings, one for um, company picnics. You could have a BEO, you know, doing a wedding is different than doing a company picnic. You know, you have, yeah. and, and, and we have the ability, you could upload pictures. So if you're, if you're the newest catering captain or on the crew, I can hand you a piece of paper that says, this is what the drink station setup looks like. Nice. Um, so that's, that's incorporated into it. You know, you're not, you don't have to train. Yes, you always have to train people. But yeah. isn't it nice to give somebody a schematic of the room and whatever and say, hey, this is where the round tables go and this is where the, the bars are going to go. So it's, you know, we live in a graphic society. Why, why wouldn't your reports be graphic? Well, yeah. And I mean, the reality is, too, is that, you know, and I'm a big proponent of this because we do uh, operations management software. And so, you know, the hospitality industry, if you think about just from when you started to today, right? like it used to be, or it still is today, but it's an inefficient way of doing things is the whole idea of following, right? Like, and having you hire these people to, and you train them to memorize all these things. Well, that's great. But the average waiter is there for 40 days. So if you spend a week and a half getting this guy to memorize stuff, then you've only got them there for 33 days. You know what I mean? Or 30 days. That No, no, to use. totally get it. So it's like, now it's more about, teach people how to use systems and then um, make the systems good enough to tell them what they actually have to go do. And the other great part about that is too, is because if you get them reliant on the diagram, right, then when you change the diagram, you don't have to retrain them because they're all, they're trained to look at the diagram that comes out of the system, not to go off of memory about what it right. was. We did this and last no, totally. Totally. And, you know, I've, I've always operated by um, the premise I'd rather run my business off processes, not personalities. And I think yeah. a lot of times people hire that key employee and they might be a pain in the ass, but you don't want to get rid of them because they know where all the batteries are buried. They can do everything. Mm -hmm. 
they're irreplaceable. Honestly, I'd rather have somebody who's a seven on a scale of one to 10, but can follow a system and execute yeah. properly and isn't a pain in the ass. So Absolutely. I, I, I don't want, I don't want any one person to control my company. It's like, Hey, you know what? This person, Susie leaves, Bob can come in and he, he knows how to follow the processes. Well, so. and too, when you have a lot of locations, right. And you're doing a, in a large business, you can't have, you can't have, you need every, systems make the worst manager good and make the good manager great. But the reality is there's only 20% of managers are great to start with. They just have the right personality. Right. They have, they have the yes. right ge genetic gene pool to be great. 80% of managers are just okay. So eight out of 10 times you're going to have an okay manager, but if we give them some systems and hold them accountable and give them the tools they need to be successful, they can be, uh, they can be more successful than the great manager. Because like you said too, yeah, sometimes the great manager knows they're great and they're a pain in the ass, you know? <laughs> like, so Absolutely. I totally agree. And so I guess for those of you listening, don't build your stone. Like, you know, you're never going to get another you, right? If you're the entrepreneur, you started this thing, you're the only you right? The rest of the people just work there. They don't care. Um, and, but if you give them systems and hold them accountable and provide them with the tools they need to be successful, you're, you can, you can be so much more successful than trying to find eight more use because you're never going to do it. Um, cool, right. man. So, uh, let's go to question number two. What is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Uh, you know, I, I love, the uh i remember reading ray Kroc's story um and his line from mcdonald's uh we innovate we enter we innovate quicker than anyone can copy yep. so i'm i'm always you know skating where the puck is going to be as wayne gretzky said so we're working on you know just new enhancements we we want to be able to showcase um, party rooms and online ordering portal. So if you have one or two party rooms, you can actually showcase them, you know, when people go online and they can inquire about them. Um, we're, we're working on integrations, you know, trying to do more in the integration space. Um, God, I feel like I can't even keep up with everything we're doing. We're, we're, we're updating, uh, time rules because people are like, Hey, if I have too many orders on a certain time frame, could we throttle it? So we're working on that. I mean, I mean, we just we're always looking to make things bigger, better, faster. You know, what's going to give our clients a competitive advantage to save an hour a day, thirty minutes? Look, look smarter and better because something as simple. I'm going to give you a super simple idea. You know. You got a you got a, a a CRM keeps up with the customer, and we have sort of a a highlighted view that says, "Hey, Tommy has been a customer. This is when he placed his first order ten years ago. This is his last order, and this is how much he spent with us, and how many times he's ordered with us, right? So now I know you know all customers are created equal. Some are a little more equal than others. Yep. So I know how much you spent with me. I've got your your information. I can keep five highlighted notes on you." I know gluten allergy, and you'd always have something for a gluten allergy in the order. Maybe we were late on the delivery, so you get free dessert. Maybe your kid uh, is a really good pitcher and travel ball. So when you call up, I'm going to say, hey, Tommy, how's your son doing? Has he gotten scouted by, you know, by the Red Sox yet? So <laughs> whatever, you know. Well, you're going to want to do business with me because I remember that. And very few people will remember those little things. So we we sort of combined what was it we built that in our database number one but then we combined it in the order entry screen so you can see this when you're talking to a customer and you know things about them that makes you look like a hero not a zero so um you know we're just always just adding more cool stuff to what we do because you know it just never ends i mean it never ends the things that you can do. And some of it you learn from your clients and some of it you learn from the tech industry, right? Yeah. Um, you know, a void phone system we didn't invent, but we saw other people were using. It's like, well, why wouldn't we do the same? But if you want to record your catering calls and when 
you know, your admin, some admin calls up and says, oh, no, 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 I canceled this order. We have the recording. There's nothing. You didn't call. There's no record of this. Yeah. You know, we, we keep up, we keep up with this. So, um, that's what I'm working on. And then I don't know, you know, personally, I'm about to buy a place in Costa Rica and, uh, uh, uh spend my winters down there cause I'm over the cold. So. Oh, I hear you. We're going to Costa Rica next Christmas and we're going to this resort. I got to find it, but it's like, well, it's just rated like one of the top seven resorts in the world. My mother-in-law and uh, my father-in-law are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. So she wanted to take the whole family and we're going to stay wow. like four days up in the mountains. And there's like a lagoon inside the hotel yep. and it's, it's like nice. John's or someplace like that. I don't know. I have to go look it up. And then we're going to go down to the West end and do the all-inclusive thing. So, but so, Costa Rica's um, the best. Cup, have you been? I, well, I went, yeah, I went like in 2009. So a couple of things. First of all, the fact that your in-laws have been married 50 years, to put that in perspective, that's two and a half life sentences. So that's a, <laughs> quite a that's quite an accomplishment. Number two is if you have a chance to escape the resort and all the creature comforts of somebody bringing you um, pina coladas by the pool, there's a small town called Uvita, and it's paradise. There's no resorts. It's all, you know, mom and pop boutique hotels, great little... Tuna, tuna tartar, $8.50, fresh off the boat. Best place in the world. Uh, so if you can sneak away from everybody and get down there, even for one day, um, it's well worth it. Oh, yeah. They, uh, well, it's interesting because one of the guys I interviewed on the, when I first started, like, up on the podcast again, and I started, like, really doing a lot more podcasts, was he had a travel agency. He's one of the top travel agents down in Costa Rica. So we actually called him. But when we went last time, we just stayed in a house and uh, and we like went into town and there was a lady rolling Cuban cigars or she's rolling cigars or Costa Rican cigars. But like they were awesome and we did, it was wonderful. Costa Rica is great. If you haven't had a chance to go, I highly recommend checking it out. Now, one thing I want to uh, sort of circle back on is uh, you were talking about just all the innovation that you guys have been adding and integrating into these different technologies, right? But I just want to point out to those people because, and I haven't heard this in a long time. So I think that people are getting the value prop of SaaS software, right? But that's the value prop of SaaS software is the fact that it's, yeah, you pay a subscription. So every month you got to pay some fee to use this software, right? And people like to like nostalgically remind themselves back to like, the nineties when you just bought windows, you bought office 95, whatever. And then you had it for four or five years. And then you bought office 97 and it was like one or 200 bucks and you were done. Right. And you could, you could run that for 30 years if you wanted to. But the thing was they didn't innovate like we're innovating today. Right. And so for those people who, when they like kind of freak out, about, oh, I have all these monthly software payments, I got to pay out. The, the value prop is, is that it's never done. And that you don't have to install it brand new on your service, and it always works. Yeah. because it's on the web. Right? Yeah, and 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 then when you're unhappy, go go buy something else. And so there's there's a difference. You know, before you pay five thousand for a piece of software, if it sucks, so so be it. You, you pay for it. upgrades, yeah. and then it's on a computer. You know, it's on a it's on a computer, and if your building burns down, you really don't have backups. You get backups. You get you know. So the pressure is on the SaaS company to deliver. You're, you're still paying the same amount of money as amortized, right? Yeah. It's pretty much the same amount of money. You know, if you spend 5000 and that gets you for two years, it's no different than $200 a month. But the, yeah. the, the onus is on me to make sure that you want to keep using my software. So I have to make it so good yep. that you, you would like literally you'd have to go out of business. Um, and, you know, we've had, we've had people who've had employees wipe out databases and we've been able to restore them. Yeah. Now we have it as a fee. Now we have it as a feature. You can back up your, you know, you can restore, you know, deletions. You can see what's been deleted. But I mean, you get the point is you just keep building it so good. Rarely can you, unless you're a one trick pony and it's a very specific thing, you know, a good software company is going to innovate um, all the time. So they earn that place, you know, yeah. you're, you're making back that investment tenfold. So look, I, I buy more. I'm not going to say I buy more SaaS software than I sell. That's stupid because I, 
you know, I don't want my company at a, at, a, at a loss, but we are a large consumer of SaaS systems because we believe in, in the value prop. Well, yeah. And, and you know, it, but it's so true because like when Microsoft had you, cause like, oh, so like, here's an example. My last company, we were Symantec, which is Norton Antivirus, but we were on their large yeah. enterprise thing. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, this was literally what the sales guys used to say was, uh, you know, you don't get sales and implementation confused, right? We sell software, let implementation figure out how to deliver it. When I was starting there in 09, I mean, this is how rapidly things have moved. I mean, in, I've been in software since 09. Um, from 09 to 2015, before we launched Office Analytica, we had that other company, you know, you would still buy software and you would install it on a server in a data center somewhere. And, you know, you would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. And, you know, if you made one goofy decision in like 1990, because you had a guy who didn't understand how to set up user accounts properly, that could derail your entire implementation, you know. But with SaaS software, because it's all web-based, it has to work. You know, it might only work on certain browsers, Chrome and Firefox, whatever, but it has to work, right? And it's such a yeah. better deal for end users than that old model ever was because that old model was dependent on so many other things having to work right and be correct. Whereas this software, as long as you have a browser, you can utilize yeah. it. And like you said, yeah. we, we're already doing the backups. We're already doing these other things that you guys uh, aren't doing because you're not a tech company, you're a caterer and you don't know exactly. you should be running security on your database and backing things up. Well, we do. So anyway, I just want to make sure people understand it. And we used to hear that a lot more in 2015 and 2016. I'm getting nickel and dime to all these apps, but I think people are getting it now, you know, because I don't yep. hear that as a complaint anymore. But it just we don't hear me. it. Uh, and yeah. years ago, people go, "Oh, can I buy it?" Yeah. Like, well, no, you, you, no, yeah, for a million dollars, exactly. That's <laughs> not something I put into it. Yeah. I'll um, sell it to you. You'd for have to a million, no problem. And then some people, you know, what's interesting is people want to write their own software, and I'm like, "Do you understand wow. that's a business within a business? It doesn't yeah. end. It's like it's like a buying a horse. It it doesn't stop eating." You know, you always have to keep feeding a piece of software you 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 invest in. Oh yeah, and that was the whole like thing too. Like, and and here's the other thing too. Just as we're going on this kind of tangent, when we were consulting and building all this custom software, we would tell people, it, it, just like you said, it's the same cost. Like the market dictates that I can't charge 10x more than than it costs to build this software. Like I'm charging you what it legitimately costs you whether you write the check to me to build the software or you have your guy who's on salary only working on this and it takes them seven times longer than it will take me to right. do it and it doesn't work, it costs exactly the same. The market tells you that this is the cost of this, period. Right. Like nobody's charging more or less. I mean, occasionally you might get away with gouging somebody here or there, but for the most part, it all evens itself out because the guy who gouges yeah. somebody they eventually go, wait a second. Some other sales guy calls them and goes, wait, you're paying $800 a month. It's only 200 bucks a month. And then they move on, you know? So it, yeah, right. I don't know. But yeah, you, you know, we can offer all this functionality on our platforms because we get to defer that cost out to so many people, you know? Right. So you can invest time in connecting VoIP phones to stuff and recording calls and bringing that technology in, right, to solve a business problem that they right. weren't going to solve on their own because they don't have VoIP phones. And even if they did, they wouldn't know how to set up recording, and then they'd be recording a thousand conversations they don't need to record, right, because they would be recording conversations about reservations. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, yeah. Uh, anyway. I just thought that was, uh, that's cool that you guys are innovating so much. That's neat. All right. So let's go to the next question. What is the one thing in your industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Well, you know, you always want to figure out how to get more customers. You can, there's never, there, you know, you just, you want to, you want to have more customers. I think yeah. that's in everybody's business. It's like, how, how do I get more customers? How do I grow sales? 
their operations, I think, is I'm not gonna say everybody's operations um, is simple, but you know, relatively speaking, I'd rather have that problem than a um, sales problem. You know, you just always want you know how to get more customers and, and, and acquire them the right way, get the right. Early on, you know, we made some strategic missteps. You know, I think we were ahead of the curve launching our software. I don't think that the industry was 100% ready. So we, we thought, you know, we need to uh, teach these restaurants how to build a catering business because they don't even have a simple menu. They don't have a website to promote it. Uh, they don't have table tents, low-hanging fruit. So we built this whole system like, hey, you know, use our software and our systems to build a catering sales. And 95% of the people a year later weren't using it and they canceled the subscription. And so we just had a paradigm shift. It's like, why are we attracting the wrong people, right? Sure. We're using the wrong bait, attracting the wrong people. So we just decided we want to help successful caterers become more successful because if I think back to my education, you know, all the marketing gurus and, and all the people I've learned from whether it's a book, a course, a seminar, a consultant, um, I'm not looking to like quadruple or 10x my revenue. I'm looking for, give me one idea that's worth a 1% bump. And it's, you know, I'd spend a thousand bucks for a 1% bump. And so the, sure. the good people, you know, the, 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 the really, really high performers, they're looking for that 1% edge when they go into something. They're not looking for earth shattering. If they do, yeah. that's great. If they get it, but they're looking for, you know, what's the bump. And so we're yeah. looking for the people who get it and say, Hey, if this, you know, if this saves me 10 hours a week or this increases our sales by 3% because we're just following some good common sense stuff that's built into the software, it's well worth it. So um, that's, you know, I don't know if anything's keeping me up at night except old age. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you know what's true too, and, and, and we kind of saw the same thing is like the, the reality is with restaurants, and, and I mean, the reality is this was all businesses too, really, but like, like, but restaurants specifically is especially the smaller guys, the smaller guys have a really hard time implementing technology and process because their businesses are such a cult of personality in a lot of cases and they're there all the time. And so if you're the CEO, if you're the owner of the restaurant, you don't want to go through and fill out all the paperwork that you'd want your employees to do, or you don't necessarily want to use all the systems. And so we've always struggled. It's, uh, we've always struggled with uh, restaurant operators who aren't really systems-based guys and they, they want to be systems-based guys, but they, you know, there's a difference between wanting to be and being, you know what I mean? And I can't tell you how many times all the people had to do was just literally go to their employees and say, Hey, stop using that. Start using that. And I, they can't I, do I it. Totally, and you know, it's, what's crazy. I've, I, I think it is a mindset because I tell everybody I joke. It's, ha it's a half joke. It's half serious. I said, I'm lazy. And what yeah. I mean by that is why do I want to work any harder than I have to work? I, you know, my dad came over to this country um, from, he got recruited by a company. Um, from was born in Morocco, moved to France. I was born and got recruited to the U.S. firm in Memphis. Basically worked five and a half days, you know, went to work, went to the factory before we woke up. We couldn't eat dinner until six, seven, eight o'clock at night if there was an emergency. You know, he had to stay late. And it's like, I don't want this kind of life. What, you, you work till you get 65 and then you get the uh, gold-plated watch and then they put you out to pasture and you never get to enjoy it? Yeah. And I've realized why work hard. And so... When I had my restaurant, I was doing systems when there weren't systems. We had a laminated checklist. This is the opening checklist. I don't, I don't want to hear that, oh, I forgot to turn on the neon sign or I forgot to do this. Why am I messing with this? Why are people having to worry about this? Just follow the system and it's idiot proof. And whether it's, you know, all the things we did were homegrown through spreadsheets and forms. Um, because I don't want people to have to think. They, they're not going to come in and, and, and remember 200 things that they have to do. You give everybody a checklist. Yep. And if, and, and if you really want to work that hard, you know, then I don't know, go dig ditches, you know, yeah. or stay in the restaurant business. It's plenty hard, I guess. But it's just gotten ridiculous where people don't understand you can leverage technology and 
Excel, pieces of paper. You know, we use a um, we use a SaaS company for standard operating procedures. They charge thirty five bucks a month or something for their format. But in in reality, we could just create Word docs or Google docs, right? They're on the cloud and have folders that say, hey, this is this is um, onboarding SOPs. This is accounting SOPs. This is sales and marketing SOPs. You can do the same thing. Create your own Google Docs that are your SOPs. And now when somebody starts, say, hey, you're now the bookkeeper. Read all the SOPs. This is how we cut payroll checks. This is how we pay invoices. This is how we store things. This is how we do this, this, and this. To not have systems is just crazy because you're married to the business. And I've yeah. always said, you know, did, did you buy a job or did you buy a business? Like, if I was going to get a job, I'm going to go to work for Google and make a lot of money and have a <laughs> ton of PTO and get free food in the cafeteria and all that good stuff. Because I'm not, you know, I can't provide myself that as a company owner. <laughs> yeah, no, so. no doubt. Well, yeah, it it is. Uh, it's crazy. The restaurant industry is a very hard industry to sell into. And it is. Uh, and restaurant operators, uh, you know, and I think part of it too is because they never have any time off, right? Like the restaurants are going 363 usually, you know, open to close, right? And so right. there's never a weekend for them to like decompress and go, hey, maybe I should do this for the company or that for the company, you know? Um, they just never have that opportunity to ever be down because the cook didn't show up on Friday at seven and that's an issue. We got to deal with it today. You know, there's never downtime, whereas the rest of the world gets more downtime, you know, where they can like reconnect and they can just go to their house and rake leaves and think of stuff and go, wait right. a second. Oh my God, I got to do that. These guys never have that opportunity. And I think that's what makes it so challenging for them to be right. Right. To just get to get ahead on stuff. Um, cool. So let's go to question number four. What is the one thing you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Um, I don't know that I've had that thought. I can tell you two things that I think are coming down the pike eventually, and I think they'll be game changers. Um, yeah. One is it's just a matter before there's robotics in the kitchen. I know that they're playing around with it in different places, but when I mean like really robotics, like literally a lot of these restaurants are just going to run off robotics. And I don't know that you're going to even need a person to walk in the door necessarily. Maybe one person to call, you know, they can call themselves. Um, because, it, you know, labor is so difficult to find. And a lot of, especially in the, in the um, fast food arena, a lot of this is just so super cookie cutter. Why yeah. do you need to have somebody? I mean, you're already seeing it at McDonald's with the big kiosk to take your order. I think people are like, I don't need to stand in line and have somebody that's doesn't really even know the menu, take my order, just put me in front of a, a screen. I can press some buttons and the food's going to come to the counter. So that's number one. Number two is I think some people are playing around with this. I really don't know how good the tech is. It's probably not as good. Um, is where it's going to be 10 years from now is AI in the phone. So I see a day where we'll integrate and you can you don't have to have a call center. It's all AI driven and um, all your catering orders, takeout orders can be done with an AI engine. You want to modify something, whatever it is, um, that person is going to handle on the phone. It's going to be better than the experience you have when, you know, you feel like you're in voice prompt hell. I think they're going to get to the point where, yeah, you know, you're not, well, they'll probably get to the point where they're going to pick up on your dialect and say, oh, mm -hmm. this person's from Michigan. I'm going to have a a uh, um, uh, uh, female Mich Michigan voice because that's going to yep. be appealing to this man or whatever it is, right? Yeah, they're going to know that, and the voice will change so you feel like you're 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 talking with somebody that's a friend. And then you know when you ask a question, you know how can I help you? I want to place an order. They're going to know place an order. Do you want to take a catering order or to go order catering? How many people? You know, it's going to just yeah. be where why why do I need to have somebody answer my phone and then. The, the data centers that are managing this technology, you know, you can scale up and down in two seconds. If yeah. I need one line answered at this second, I get one. If I need 25 because it's Christmas, I think yeah. grocery, somebody in the grocery business told me 60% of phone orders around the holidays get missed. 
because they don't have the manpower. Well, imagine if you had that for a grocery store. You'd be rich because they would capture, you know, two and a half times the sales. You know, they they, they 150% more business just by having that innovation. Well, so I've got a guy uh, that I'm trying to get on the podcast, and he it's like his side hustle. He's a client of ours for a company, but his side hustle is robotics, and he's a genius. And uh, he got his start with those crane games, if you can imagine that. Yeah. Like, you know, get the thing yeah. out. And he, right before the pandemic, he got uh, the pools in Vegas, could, the bartenders couldn't keep up with uh, the drink orders, right? Yeah. And so he has a robot drink machine that, like, literally, you, like, ring it in, you, like, hit the button, and then the cup slides under ice. It goes on a conveyor belt. It goes to the alcohols. It's got a gravity pour. So then the like little arm pushes it up to get a shot. And then it goes to the mixer part at the end, drops the mixer in, and it can make a cocktail in four seconds, you know? And um, and so he had those to play the pulse. Well, he's got another robot, and it's just dropping burger patties on a flame broiler at a Burger King. That's yeah. all it does. But th- just think about that one change, right? You had to have a human doing that before, right? It takes zero skill. It t- all it requires is knowing what patty to put down. The flame broiler does the rest, you know? Right. And the cheese, the, you know, most of that burger cheese is like, I got a really low melt point. So they don't even put it on in the, the toaster, right? It just gets on no, the they end put and it the, out. the burger yeah, melts it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, that's where I see, like, in the very short term, I see very fixed position robots that are doing very specific things and humans are working right. around them to do stuff. Like, I don't know, you know, but like where fries. Seen, the fries, the fries yeah. station would be a perfect example. You load up, load them up in a frozen bin and it automatically yep. pre-portions them, circulates yeah. the baskets, the baskets get dumped, the salt gets applied evenly. I mean, yeah, totally. Yeah. totally. And, so, and, it's, yeah. and it's cheaper to spend a hundred thousand on a fry robot than it is to spend a hundred thousand in salaries a year for people who don't show up to just work the fry station um, because you need them from, you know, open to close. Yep. And you figure two 15 hour employees, let's say you're just going like, you know, two, eight, two, eight hour shifts, right? That's 60 G's right there in labor. That's just 60 G's in labor with none of the ancillary costs. Like fifteen dollar an hour employee. Then you got taxes, the twenty percent more on that. Got health insurance, got Cobra, got all the paperwork, all the training, all that stuff. That's easily a hundred K a year for uh yeah, it's easily a hundred K a year just in labor and just rehiring and interviewing and all that stuff. So to get a robot that can do that and then have one employee who's making burgers who the fry thing starts blinking and he runs back, it's a case of fries, dumps them on a conveyor belt. And all of a sudden, you know, boom. And I think that's, I think we're going to see, you know, limited application robots uh, coming in and picking up those little positions. You know, another position I always think about too, for would be great for grills, would be a robot that could cook steaks that have like an infrared thermometer. And then if you knew, for instance, like, you know, you're like Outback, right? And every steak you get is uniformly cut and perfect. Yeah. Then you would be able to go. I know that a medium well steak should be on this amount of grill time with this infrared like laser beam on it should be this surface temp at this point. Well, this surface temp or something, you know. Well, I mean, even if they're not uniform, maybe they'll take a laser measurement and weight yeah. and say, okay, this this is. You know, the way it's, the meat is distributed, this one's going to cook for 62 seconds less because it's yeah. wider and thinner. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all, it's all simple. Because dropping steaks and then managing other stations, food, fish, pasta, all that stuff, very, it, yeah. it takes a really skilled cook, but a robot who like could say, okay, the steaks are going to cook the longest so that it could like flag the pasta station and go, hey, drop your Alfredo. Wow, well, you know, it's cooking. If it all comes out, would be amazing. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, again, I'm not a techie, but I had this idea. So, I don't know if you know what Southern Prides are. They're basically made barbecue business scalable. They're ba- basically big Ferris wheels that you put big cuts of meat in, and then mm-hmm. it has a fire and gas chamber in the back, and it's got convection, and it rotates, and, it, and the grease is separate from the fire, and 
you know, we used to cook our shoulders for 22 hours. They fell apart. And then we would wrap them in foil and put them in Cambro so they didn't get overcooked yep. or undercooked. And we didn't reheat them. We, you know, everything fresh pit to plate. But, you know, they could be sitting there for 12 hours. And I said, you know, if you could create almost like a rotisserie conveyor belt and yeah. you put in the shoulders in the beginning and it knew when to, at the end of that tunnel, when, and it could be, you know, sort of like go up and then down or whatever. It could be an up and down, whatever. It would know that, hey, at the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to use three shoulders. So we put in the raw product 22 hours before on those three. And then the next hour, we need five. And then 22 hours before that, five yep. ended up in the conveyor belt. So literally, you're pulling off fresh product as yeah. you need it based on your production requirements. That would be phenomenal. Insane. But you know, yeah, I decided to go a different route. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, I'm the same way, man. I started at 14 in restaurants and, you know, I've been in technology for 10, 12 years, 13 years now. Good Lord. But like, you know, um, yeah, uh, it's cool. I, I do agree. With you. I think robots are coming like crazy. I think the phone technology is getting uh, so good. I mean, what they're doing with like the amount of power that's in these phones is insane, but they're still. Yeah. What I think is interesting about technology in general right now, and this is where AI hasn't gotten to yet or just better programming, is everything is still so siloed, right? And so, um, and I think that we're good, or there's just natural things that like the software stops at that you go, well, the complete process would be going X, Y, and Z on top of that, right? But like right. we're getting, we're getting, you know, A, done, we can, you know, add things to our shopping list or we can do this piece, but the really amazing soup to nuts, if you were like a, if this was like a service process would have taken you all the way through Z, you know? And I think what we're going to start to see is those gaps are going to continue to get filled in um, over the next couple of years as people are, are realizing how they can do that stuff. Like you can do, 80% of stuff today, but I think you'll get to 100% of stuff. Like, like I'm always amazed when I sign up for something online and then I get a phone call the way I'm supposed to, or I get a nice letter, or, you know, they do that extra couple steps and you're like, oh, that's awesome. You know, like, good job. Right. So I think that stuff's, I think that'll all be coming. And I do agree, robots are definitely coming. And we'll see, you know, we'll see what people want from the restaurant business in general. I mean, obviously the delivery is changing the world and, you know, you go to England and you'll go to a bar, it's the size, like a giant bar, and they'll just have a couple of bartenders and some food runners. And they're all okay with that. They don't have 20 waiters, you know? Right. I used, I used to manage one of the busiest PF Changs in the country back in the early 2000s. I was a floor manager and, you know, we would run 12 servers and six bussers and five food runners and five hosts every day. And that's a lot of people to keep staffed, you know? And Right. No, I get it. It's a lot of work. It's a full-time job just keeping those people showing up every shift. And right. they all call out and they don't show up and they don't care. And, you know, it's tough. So I, I don't think the restaurants can continue that way. And or, or people have to be willing to pay for it, you know? Like you, you can't have it both ways. You can't have 99 cent value menu and a waiter. You know, you just don't know <laughs> without a doubt. So cool. man. so we're ahead of the last question. It's war story time. Uh, do me a favor. Give me a war story, something cringeworthy, something funny, something you can't believe you got through. Could be from when you ran the restaurant, could be your software company. I just want one of those. Oh my God. Stories, you know? God, I thought about this one. You know, you know, got definitely. I'm going to give you two stories because cool. I think it's two stories worthy. I'm going to tell you sort of a personal story. I'll say for less, and then a um, um, business story. So when I had my restaurant, it was you know I think the shift changes four o'clock. The hostess comes in. Our shift manager Suzanne was in the bathroom. The hostess was in the bathroom. Something seemed off. We pulled the drawer. She was there 30 minutes, right? And she was like, 
$50 short or something like that. So we'd pull in, you know, we're like, where's the $50? Went in the bathroom. She had gone to the bathroom, pulled the tank top off and put the 50, you know, the 50, you know, the, the roll of 50 in there, whatever. Um, the packet of 50, $50 packet in there. And, you know, I'm sure she was going to call her girlfriend and say, hey, metal stall, 50 bucks. We'll split it later. Go buy yeah. some pot or whatever, alcohol, whatever. So we pull her in and say, hey, you know, you just started 30 minutes ago. You go $50 short. We went in the bathroom. We found the $50. The only two people in there were you and Suzanne, the manager. What do you have to say? What do you have to say about that? He goes, oh, my God. I would never think Suzanne would steal from this place. <laughs> I'm like, really? Just that was slick. Shit and get out. I'm like, <laughs> that you know, was actually really slick. <laughs> I was like, okay, you get an A for making me laugh, but you get an F for ethics and honesty. I really appreciate you taking the time. We will put the, yeah. the show notes, uh, the Zen, uh, Cater Zen uh, website and everything. Yep. And CaterZen.com. Uh, yep. And check them out. If you guys have a catering business in your restaurant, you're trying to do more box lunches, you're trying to do more takeout orders, you know, just from my own personal experience uh, in the restaurant business, you know, you're already there. You already have your entire staff in the restaurant. You can only handle so many tables, but catering is one of those things that can almost be unlimited, you know? And when I was working in the chains and everything like that, we were always pushing the owners, do more catering, do more takeout because it's on your, you know, it's just, it's just extra money, right? So if you have a restaurant today and you're not really focused on catering um, or you're not doing enough of that, you got to really focus on that part of your business. It's the easiest way to add profitability um, to your company because, you know, it's not on-prem. You you have a bottleneck, which is the number of people you can hold in your building, but you have no bottleneck when it comes to off-prem. So you should really right. look at trying to grow that part of your business. Absolutely. Uh, well, we appreciate it, Michael, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks. Take care.